Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. Today we will be looking at Genesis 16, verses 7 to 15, although we may not make it all the way through that section. Again, as a reminder, this entire chapter serves as one literary unit, a pericope, if you will, and we're working under the topic of really a tale of weak faith. And we're talking about the weak faith of Sarai and really of Abram because he goes along with this and hearkens to the voice of his wife. Now, in verses 1 to 6, we learned that attempting to help God can lead to compromise. We spent a couple episodes plumbing that, so we won't go over that anymore. Now, as we start in verses 7 to 15, we see a second principle emerge. Again, this is not the entirety of the chapter, but it does take us through the midsection here. And what we learn from this in these verses is that God is merciful in spite of our sin. God is merciful in spite of our sin. Verse 7, we read this. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, verse 11, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's a hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now, we'll stop right there, even though that was just through verse 12, because we have a historical precedent that says we might not get through all of this, but we'll see. If we get beyond that, then we'll come back and continue reading. So God is merciful in spite of our sin, we see, and that encompasses this whole section. But the first thing we want to zero in on is this. In spite of our sin, life goes on. And God still works with us and desires our obedience. And we see this in verse 7 because Hagar and Ishmael were in a tough position. that could have been prevented, but now they had to deal with the new reality. I don't know about you, but I know that for me, when I think back through the history of my own life, there is a certain sense where I am just overcome with <laughs> what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15. I mean, the best way to do this is to ap- appeal to the scripture, right? And in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says to Timothy, his protege in the ministry, he says that he is the chief of sinners. And, you know, I've heard people say regarding that particular text, it's like, 
How could Paul say that? I mean, Paul is the most gifted of all the disciples. You look at his writings, they're just incredible. We, We glean so much from them. We learn so much from them. We profit so much from the writings of Paul. How is it that Paul could say that? And I think for those who are truly Christ's, who truly have the spirit of Christ, who are born from above, as a friend of mine likes to say, right? If we are born from above, then what ends up happening is it's there is the initial aspect where the, the day we come to Christ, we are laying all at the altar, right? We're, we're not hanging on to anything. I don't think anybody who truly comes to Christ is hanging on to anything at the moment they come to Christ. Okay, let's just lay that aside. If if you are hanging on to your sin as you are calling out to Christ, then you're not probably calling out to him for salvation and that that's a different story, okay? But after that transformation has taken place, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians 5.17. Galatians 2.20, we are crucified in Christ, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Okay, wonderful text, right? There, there's a radical transformation that takes place. Once that happens, at least I have experienced this in my own life. We call this anecdotal evidence, but the scripture seems to back this up and, and the anecdotal evidence of others as well. It's consistent for those who are truly, you know, they, they truly belong to Christ. The longer we live and walk with Christ, the more sinful we become in our own eyes. Does it mean the more sinful we actually become? Or is it that we are more attuned to our own sin and we're, we're more tuned, we're more finely tuned to our own depravity? And in addition to those things, we're becoming increasingly attuned to the holiness of God. And I think the answer is yes to all of those things, right? We are becoming more finely attuned to our own sin. We are becoming more finely attuned to the holiness of Christ. And as we do that, we can also make the same statement that Paul did, even after 26 years of walking with him or 30 years or, or 15 years or 10 years or 40 or 50 or 60 years, that the more we study the beauty of Christ, the more we say, listen, I am unworthy. And so we have to understand that. But there has to be a way to move forward. And that's the point. In spite of sin, life goes on. And I can think back to things that I've made. You know, do I have regrets personally? Oh, I yes. Yes and yes and yes. And I'm sure you do too. If we all stopped and thought about things and say, okay, listen, if I could just... I could go back in time and tell my younger self, listen, self, don't do that. <laughs> I I wish, you know, just trust me. This is your older self speaking from a vantage point of maturity and experience and time past. Don't do that. You're going to regret that forever. You're going to carry that with you to your grave. I can't tell you the number of things that I wish that I could go back and change the number of things that I wish that I could unsay, 
the thoughts that I wish that I could unthink because I know that God can see into my heart and into my mind. All of those things. I Yes, I wish I could go back and undo that. But here's the incredible thing is that in spite of our sin, this is the sovereignty and the providence of God because he is all powerful. He can work in spite of that. And that's incredible. Did Sarai's decision totally disrupt the plan of God? The answer is an obvious no. Okay. There's no way that you and I can, you know, unseat Christ from his throne and throw off all of God's plans for, for eternity, future, and all that thing. We are not that powerful. I hate to break it to you. I'm not that powerful. Neither are you. But the other aspect of that is that when we sin, that doesn't mean it's the end of our life. And, you know, sin has its own consequences to be sure. Do we wish that Sarai, you know, just looking at this particular thing, do we wish that Sarai had never done this and never said those things to Abram? I can say, yes, I, I, I wish that that had never happened. You know, looking at there is a certain group of people that came forth from the descendants of Ishmael, a religious group of people that have been in stark opposition to Christianity, uh, to, to the Bible, and, and they have waged war and caused great harm and suffering. And of course, we know the, the words of Tertullian that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. They have been responsible for spilling a lot of the blood of Christians over the years. Uh, I have read the Quran. I had to read that in a class in college and read it cover to cover, um, not just little sections of it. I read the entire thing, and it was an eye-opening experience to read that, that they call for jihad, a holy war, against unbelievers. And uh, you know they feel that they are honoring the Lord when they literally kill people and spill their blood. This is not the message of the Bible. Listen, you and me as Christians— Nowhere in the Bible does it say go and kill people if they don't believe you. It says preach the gospel, make disciples. That's what we are supposed to do. And if in the process of that, people hate you, and Jesus says to his disciples, and they will hate you, and they will drive you forth from these cities, all of those things, right? If that happens, you know, just count it a joy that you are worthy to suffer. And and we see that, you know, we see that exemplified in the, in the scriptures. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, do I, going back to this, do I wish that Sarai had never done that? If Ishmael had never been alive and those people had never been able to claim descendancy to the one true and living God through Ishmael? Yeah, I wish we could undo that. <laughs> you, you bet I wish that. But that's just not the reality. And here's the real clencher to all of that. Did God know what would happen as a result of this incredibly poor and sinful decision? Of course he did. But he didn't allow it to, you know, A, it could not affect him because we can't alter the course of his eternal plan because he is eternal. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all the omnis. We know that. So we can't alter any of that. And the beauty of that is, is even in spite of these things, that doesn't change God's plan going forward. 
But the interesting thing is, and this is what we have to also come to grips with, is that when we do make poor decisions, life goes on. And I guess this may be become, you know, this may be the lesson of this entire episode here is that if you have sinned, there is not only forgiveness, right? We know this from the New Testament. First John chapter one, verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But what? If we confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is written to believers. It's not a prayer of salvation. He is saying that believers sin, and if we sin, he forgives our sin. The point of this as we get into this passage is what? Life goes on in spite of sin, and you have to be able to as much as is possible. I mean, there may be legal ramifications in some rare cases. Sometimes sin brings those things, right? There may be relational implications and uh, ramifications to uh, the decisions that we make. I get that. But that doesn't mean that life stops and hangs on that one point forevermore and follows you to the grave. Life goes on. And that's the overarching principle of this entire section, not the whole chapter, but from seven to 15, God is merciful in spite of sin. You know, we look at this text, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Hagar is not seeking the Lord. The Lord seeks her out. And it's not just the Lord. And I say just the Lord. And I I get that. I'm anticipating some of the responses to that. How can you say just the Lord? The Lord is the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth. I get that. But the text says that this is the angel of the Lord, definite article, the angel, not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. What we know from the scriptures is anytime that we find this in the Old Testament with a definite article, the angel of the Lord, this is a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. This is Christ before he came and put on flesh, right? We have theophanies. That's where God appears in a manifestation other than a human. That's like Exodus chapter 3 when he appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. That's a theophany. But when he appears as a man... The scripture calls us the angel of the Lord. And the only time God ever puts on uh, this appearance as a man is when this is Christ. This is an appearance of Christ before he's incarnate. This is a theophany. This is Christ appearing to Hagar in a spring or by a spring of water in the wilderness. He comes to her and he's going to assure her of the promises for the future and he's going to encourage her not to give up hope and all of this in the in other words what we learn from this is the mercies of god are incredible they are beyond our wildest imagination for all that we know of all the things that transpired from history from that point forward to this point where we are today and all the wars and the blood that has been shed because of this one decision. (laughs) It's mind-boggling. This is the mercy of God. You know why? Because there are some people along the way 
on both sides, whether they are descendants of Ishmael or on the other side of that who have come to faith, God is long-suffering. God is merciful. God will bring to himself people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation, as we read in the book of Revelation. And he can even do it from his own enemies. It's incredible. And the fact of the matter is, is once we have messed up and once we find ourselves in an incredibly bleak situation as Hagar finds herself, it's not ours to give up, but we have to trust in God. And God will seek us out. And we need to be able to respond to him. And we find Hagar in this situation. She's not seeking God. God finds her. He discovers her. And he enters into dialogue with her. And he says, listen, you know, secondly, in spite of sin, life goes on. But also, we have a duty, and we'll end here, to do the right thing. The angel of the Lord said, verse 9, return to your mistress and submit to her. This is incredible. We'll just leave this this here. We just don't have a lot of time. I've spent a little bit more time here than I normally would, but this is these are incredible passages here as we dive into these. But God took note of Hagar, and, and think about this just from a very practical standpoint. She's out all by herself. Does she have a son to take care of her right at, at this point? No. She has a son inside of her. That means that she's pregnant and abandoned. So she is with child and has no means to provide for herself. And she's in the wilderness. If she stays in the wilderness, she will die apart from divine intervention. And so while she's there, God takes note of her that she is pregnant and abandoned and has compassion. But note what he tells her. The thing that you need to do is you need to go back and do the right thing. In other words, if you had conceived this child, which was wrong to begin with, he doesn't tell Hagar this. He doesn't even tell Sarai this. I mean, later on, they're going to piece it together when God comes to Abraham and says, listen, I, yeah, I get what, you know, you did these things, but this isn't right. I'm actually going to give you a son through Sarai, your wife. You apparently didn't understand it before. I'm going to make sure you understand it now. I'm definitely going to make it through this. Okay. So you're wrong before. Okay. Uh, but regardless, the way in which Hagar responded when she found out that she was with child was absolutely sinful. It was, it was humiliating to Sarai. Sarah has spent decades of her life probably praying, trusting her husband, following her husband as her husband leads her out of, you know, the familial situation in, in the Chaldees there in Ur. All of those things, she follows him to a foreign land. She knows that Abram is trusting God to lead him. And then God says these things and she's like, yeah, but I haven't seen it. All of that. And the second you get a child and you conceive and you do exactly what she said, you, you dishonor her. You accuse her of being out of favor with God. I mean, you have to understand here that Hagar bears some responsibility for this from a human standpoint. The reason she's in the wilderness is because she was sinful. She dishonored the person who had authority over her. 
And so when the Lord tells her and, and he comes to her and says, okay, listen, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you, you know, you survive this and your child survives this and even becomes a nation in order for you to obtain that you need to go back and do the right thing. And we see that in verse nine, he says, return to your mistress. You need to leave the wilderness. There's no life for you in the wilderness. I mean, could she, could she eat manna before God had given manna to his people? I, I suppose God could have done that, but he said, my plan isn't for you to, you know, drink from the brook and be fed by, <laughs> by the ravens like Elijah was in first Kings. My plan isn't to sustain you by manna from heaven. You go back to your mistress. And he says, not only do you return to her, but submit to her. In other words, no more of this dishonor, no more of looking at her with contempt and saying things under your breath. Don't do that. Do the right thing. So we see that her attitude towards Sarai was wrong to begin with. We see that Sarai's response was also wrong, but we see that God brings it all together. He says to Hagar, fix your attitude. And he says to Sarai, even though we don't see this, when he is commanding Hagar to return, he's basically saying to Sarai, take her back. It's kind of a reminder of what we see in the book of Philemon, the slave going back to his master. And God uses all of this to repair things and to bring them into a state that is usable, even though it's not ideal. But the point is that life does go on in all of this. We'll bring it to an end here. Life does go on in spite of sin. God still works with us and desires our obedience, but we are to do the right thing. Listen, as one person said, I don't know who said this first, but it's never too late to start doing right. Okay. If you have messed up, if you have sinned, now is the right time to get right with God. Confess your sins. He will forgive you. He's faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As we read in first John chapter one, that is all true. So it's never too late to do right, but you should do right. You should always do the right thing. And as he commands Hagar to go back and do the right thing before her mistress, so we also ought to learn in that, that not only does life go on when we sin, but we should immediately repent of that and get on the right footing with God and do the right thing from that point forward. It's a great, great lesson for us to learn at this time. We'll pick it up as we continue with the text in verse 10 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.